Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Epic Classroom Podcast. My name is Trevor Muir, and I've been a middle and high school teacher, as well as a teacher of future and current teachers, and I love a good story. And I love to explore ways to help students live out great stories and for educators to thrive in their own. And that's what we talk about on this podcast. Whatever you teach or however you serve in schools, how can we lead more impactful, dynamic, meaningful, and epic classrooms? All right, my friends. Well, we are back. We had a little bit of a summer hiatus from creating podcasts, and that's for a number of reasons. But I'm glad you're back, or maybe you're listening for the very first time. Um, But whatever brings you here, I'm glad you're back here Uh, because I needed a little break from all that was 2022 and what is 2022 in the fall. It's been a good and restful summer for me. Uh, I, I was really, really busy in June, and that's actually when I released the last podcast. And then July, I largely took it off, and it was glorious. If you wanted to find me in July, you would have to go and find one of the rivers in Michigan that have lots of smallmouth bass in them, because that's basically where I was. Me and my kids, we would just go and find these rivers all summer long, and we would just wade in them and play in them and catch fish in them and have picnics by them and do a whole lot of things that have very little to do with the education system. And and that was primarily because there's a lot of joy to be found in life. But then that was also about like, let's gear up, let's recharge. And this is for me and the kids. Let's recharge. Let's find some new energy and some rest so that we can go back to that education system. My kids as, as students in it, third and first graders this year, um, so that they can go and refreshed and find lots of joy and thrive in their work in school. And for me, to recuperate before I go back into it as an educator. Because the last month, I have been all over the place, and it has been so, so good. I I started off the month of August traveling down to a couple places in Indiana, and Virginia, and Texas, and a couple places in Georgia. And then even last week, I went to Kodiak Island, Alaska, getting to work with teachers and helping them not only just feel inspired and excited about the work they're doing with students in schools, but then also sharing some ideas and stories that might help even amplify their work. And so I've just gotten to do that for the past month and it has just been so rich. And and I'll talk more about some of the things that I've learned as I've gotten to go around to schools all over the place. Um, But it was so, so good. And now I'm, I'm kind of on the tail end of it. I've got a few more places I'm going to help kick off school years, but now I'm, I'm getting another chance to take a nice deep breath as I figure out diving in to this year with my own students, um, but then also kind of continuing my work in education and, and helping people find new ways and, and exciting ways to thrive in their work. Um, but I got to tell you, none of that would have been possible for me if I didn't take that July to rest and to just have fun and play and relax and rejuvenate, like all the good stuff that I've gotten to do. And I got to tell you, friends, it has been so good. If you can't tell by the inflection in my voice, it's been so good, but it required lots and lots of energy from me. And so therefore I had to find that energy. 
And, and I was found through this period of rest. And, and, and if I've taken anything away from this summer where, where it was kind of sandwiched by lots and lots of, of work that was fulfilling, but a lot of energy output involved, was, was that, man, it, it requires more rest throughout the year. I can't just wait until the month of July to charge my batteries. I've got to find more time that, that, that goes on my schedule that is planned to recuperate. Um, and I got to tell you, because I planned that for July, I said, nope, I am not speaking anywhere in July. I'm not going to go work with schools in July. I'm not going to create podcasts and videos very much in the month of July. Instead, I'm going to do all these other things with my family and myself. I'm going to do that. And therefore, I tell you, I had lots of energy this month. I'm starting to run out of it now. And so now it's time to plug back in. But I had lots of energy because I found that energy through the month of July and I want to just get better at doing that throughout the school year. And I know this is a story of a lot of teachers and educators as, you know, what a lot of people think that summer is just this time off, but it's like, well, first, no, it's not just time off because all those PDs that I was at in June and August, well, teachers were at them as well. And so like, no, and, and there's also lots of planning and supply buying and, and communicating and reading and all of this work to prepare for the school year. But hopefully, I mean, and a lot of teachers I've talked to is like, no, but I've also taken some time to recuperate. And it's like, well, that's good because the work of an educator takes lots and lots of energy. Um, and, and I just wonder how can we find more structures and time and, and capacity to recuperate throughout the year so that we're not just dependent on those summer months, but that we can find that energy and we can use it in the work we're doing in schools. And so that's one of my takeaways. That's not going to be the bulk of what we talk about in this podcast episode, but I thought I'd share that. Um, but I also got to say some of my energy comes from being with teachers and bus drivers and custodians and counselors and parapros and their, and their administrators. So much of my energy comes from others. I get so much life. And I, you know, as I sit here and I'm recording this right now at the very end of August, and you're probably listening to it at the very end of August or early September, because I like to get, have a quick turnaround on it. I, I've got lots of energy from the interactions and experiences I've had this month. Uh, you know, I've been saying it to everybody who's asked me like, hey, how was that month long sprint slash marathon? How has it been? And, and, I, and I just keep sharing over and over to all my friends and everybody who asks. I say, you know what? I've got a lot of hope right now. And they're like, what do you mean? I was like, I don't know if it's just teachers or if it's, if it's just people in general, but man, I have encountered so many good people the last month of my life. I have encountered so many people that just bring joy to the world, that bring this fullness to things, that, that make me realize that a lot of the headlines we see on the news, a lot of that bad news is really not reflective of what people are actually experiencing and living. And that's not to discount the bad news, and that's not to say that, that there's not a lot of it. But I, I can just say that there are a lot of people out there who are bringing lots of life to this planet. And, and I can say that with confidence because I've met so many of them. You know, I've just had so many interactions where I'm leaving feeling like, man, there's a good person. Oh, there's a good person. There's somebody who is deeply connected to this earth and their craft and their work and with students. Like, there's somebody who brings me lots and lots of hope. And that's just been my experience the last month. And, I, and, and I'm also aware that that might be reflective of people in the teaching profession. 
you know, I, 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 I've just learned over and over and over throughout my career, but then also in my encounters with others, is that the people who get into education are not doing it for the acclaim because there's not a whole lot of it, at least in the public sphere. And they're not doing it for the paycheck because there's not a whole lot of pay attached to it as well. And while those things have value, of course, we need to keep advocating for more of it and, and better working conditions and smaller class sizes and better pay and benefits. Of course, if you got into teaching, if you were in education, there's a probably a very good chance that you did it for something other than just your own personal benefit and stability. You're probably doing it because you're motivated by student success. And, and success can take on lots of different forms, whether that's success in, as a reader, you're helping students learn to read, or you're helping them learn to solve do complex problems, or you're helping them find success in their career, or maybe your success is defined by the colleges they go to, or, or how they well they do in certain areas, what, or if it's just success in finding their own personal confidence and, and growing as a human being, whatever it is, every educator I encounter at least when they got into it, was motivated by something bigger than themselves. It was motivated by helping students find success and succeed in life. Um, and now some, are there educators who've forgotten why they got into it? Of course. That's human nature. And, and part of the lovely, wonderful work I get to do is help remind people what this work is really about. That's one of my great joys in life. That's my mission is helping people remember why they got into it in the first place. Um, but the truth is, Every educator I encounter, and I mean it, every one of them seems to be motivated by helping students. And, and so when you take that kind of sample size, you take that many educators who all share that common denominator, I think th the result is you get to encounter lots of really good people. And that's just been my takeaway. It gives me so much hope because sometimes if you look at the news or you go on social media or you see headlines coming out of certain states, you'd think like, oh yeah, teachers or people in general are not doing very good. The state of society is not in very good hands. But then when you go and actually talk to people and you're like, nope, there's lots of really good people out there. And I got to tell you this month from my travels all over the place, I've encountered a lot of Democrats. <laughs> I've encountered a lot of Republicans. I've, rec I've encountered a lot of people who consider themselves independents. I've met many Christians. I've met many atheists. I've met many Muslims. I've met uh, people from the South. I've met people from the North. I've met people from the West and the Midwest and all over this country. And there is just this general theme is that if you are in education, there's something good about you. And, and, and I, and it just, I don't know. I, I, I feel like all those things that have been used to divide people, especially the last couple of years are really not representative of a lot of people. Um, and, and, and I find a lot of joy in that as I recuperate, as I, as I'm kind of like, okay, the sprint of the month of August and back to school season is, o season is over and you can si finally kind of take some breaths and spend some time uh, creating again and, and reflecting on all that you're learning right now. You know, that's one of the things that's really giving me some buoyancy that, that, that gives me hope as we move into the future because all of these good people I'm meeting are all leading students and those students are our future. I'm not trying to be cliche. It's just a reality, you know, there's 64 million kids in some form of education right now. 
and all of them have teachers, whether it's homeschool teachers, private school teachers, or the majority who are public school teachers. They all have these people who share this trait of caring about student success. And that gives me hope because as dark as things can get sometimes, there's, there's these people who are so dedicated to their work that are trying to help students find success. And I think that leads to bright futures. And, and that's why I think there's lots of brightness on the horizon. And I think there's a lot of brightness right now. And I think sometimes we need to unplug from the bad news a bit. Not that bury our heads in the stand, sand and just ignore all that is, you know, plaguing society at times. No, but I think sometimes we have to look past the bad news and find the good stuff too. And, and as somebody who gets around a little bit, especially the last couple months, um, I can tell you there's a lot of good. And uh, I hope that brings you a little bit of hope too, because it's bringing me lots of it. So I want to tell you a quick little story that kind of highlights some of this and, and I think can give us a little direction as we move forward into this new school year. Or if you live in a different part of the world, um, can maybe assist you in the, in the school year that you have had going for a bit here. So one of the things that I've been doing the last month is, is just telling this story from when I was in middle school. And if you've seen me live uh, in any of the places that I've been, you've probably heard this story, but I'll, I'll tell it in brief. I won't tell it as in much detail as, uh, as I do on stage, but I, I always tell this story, or I've been telling it a lot, to where I was going into middle school uh, the teachers announced on day one that they have this incentive system. So anytime you do something good or commendable, like you don't run in the hallway or you turn your homework in time or you, you do something good to somebody else, you're kind, you can earn these, these class dollars. They called them flamingo bucks. I grew up in Florida. A lot of flamingo references where I lived. So they called them flamingo bucks. And if you do something bad, you can lose flamingo bucks. And the teachers told us at the end of the first semester, you could take all the flamingo bucks you earn and you can use them to bid on the latest and greatest things the 90s had to offer 12-year-olds. And so I always share to the crowds that I'm in front of, I said, you know, and this is true, I, you know, they told us that you can take your flingo bucks and you can bid on boys to men posters. Because what kid in the mid-90s didn't want a boys to men posters? You could win Tamagotchi pets, you could win beanie babies, you could win blow-up couches, which are surprisingly uncomfortable. Nobody actually liked a blow-up couch, but everybody had one at some point. But then I always share with teachers that, 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 that my teachers in sixth grade told us that at the end of the semester, there was this crown jewel of auction items, the one that they told me was going to be there that I could take if I had enough flamingo bucks I could bid on and win. And I'm guessing you already know what the crown jewel is in the mid-90s, but I'll just remind you if you didn't. They told us you could win a waterproof Walkman, which is essentially just five pounds of yellow and black magic. And, you know, and I remember when I was in sixth grade being told that you could win this Walkman that was shockproof and mildly waterproof. I remember just getting fixated on earning as many flamingo bucks as possible so that I could win this thing and put on those really uncomfortable foam headphones with the wire around the top and pop in my boys to men tape and cruise up and down the hallway, right? Like I wanted this thing badly. And, and, and part of the reason for that is because it was middle school. Middle schoolers can be a little obsessive. Do you know what I mean? Like they can get real fixated on things. And if you're a middle school teacher out there listening, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. Or 
maybe you went to middle school and you know exactly what I'm talking about. But like, you know, but also middle school was a really tough year for me when I was a kid. You know, this was the year that my parents got divorced and I came from a family of five kids and I thought the world was perfect up until this point. And then my parents split up and it was really, really hard on me. It was like all of that joy and innocence of childhood was just stripped away in an instant. And, and I remember just carrying lots of that weight on my shoulders and I remember taking all of that anxiety and, and negative energy and pouring it into achievement. And the form of achievement that was the best and brightest in front of me was winning Fluingo Bucks so that I could win that waterproof Walkman. And again, I know it sounds silly, but that's just what it was. And this is what I tell teachers all the time. And, and then I tell them about one day at the very end of that first semester, I'm in my math class and my teacher's up at the front of the room and he's up there lecturing. And I turned to my best friend, Billy Robinson. And I said, hey, Billy, can you take a look at this problem that I'm working on and tell me if I'm doing it correctly? Okay, that's not exactly what I said to Billy in the middle of class. I said to him, hey, who do you think is hotter, Britney Spears or Christina Aguilera? And, and as soon as those words left my mouth, the teacher stopped what he was doing and he smacked his hands together and he says, Trevor, I said there is to be absolutely no talking in my room, son. You need to learn to follow the rules. I'm deducting 500 flamingo bucks from you. Well, I forgot to mention that I had earned up, I had 498 of them here at the end of the first semester. And he says, I'm taking 500 away from you. So in that instant, I lost all of them. And, and, and I knew it wasn't, I know it's now not true, but at the time I just was convinced that everybody in the room now must somehow know that I'm broke. But on a deeper level, I felt like, man, this, this, this moment is like a spotlight shining on me. And everybody in here must know that I'm broken, right? That this, that this kid who can have this loud exterior and is trying to make everybody laugh. And I'm a, I was a bit of a class clown. Everybody must now know that that's all just a shell. It's an exterior to hide the fact that my life has just fallen apart. And that, and, and that I am actually hurting on the inside. And now they are all let in on that fact. Now, I know that's not true because I've worked with lots of adolescents since then. I know that most of them are so deeply concerned about themselves and worrying about everybody else looking at them that they don't take their limited capacity for, for that kind of attention and share it with others. They bring it on to themselves. So I know that most people weren't really concerned about that, but I was sure of it at the time. And, and I remember just loathing that teacher after this experience and just really internalizing it and just... I don't know, just, just learning this deep lesson that it doesn't matter how much you earn. It doesn't matter how much good you have. It can all be stripped away from you in an instant. You know, just like that precious Walkman was taken away from you in an instant, just like your flamingo bucks were taken away, just like the joy of childhood and all the goodness that was the first 11 years of my life, that can just end like that. And so what's the point? What's the point of putting in energy if it can all just be taken away? And so I remember that second semester of sixth grade, I did everything I could to get underneath that teacher's skin and make him pay for the way that he made me feel that day. Make him pay for the way that he shamed me and called me out. And so I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention that second, that second semester of sixth grade math. And so by the end of it, after many detentions and calls home and another deficit of flamingo bucks, 
I failed sixth grade math. And then when I got to seventh grade, which they moved me on anyway, because middle school, when I got to seventh grade, I struggled with math some more. It was because, and you know, they even moved me from honors, which I was in in sixth grade. They moved me from honors down to regular math. And it was this ongoing struggle because I really didn't pay attention that sixth grade year. So I struggled through seventh grade and all through eighth grade and all through high school. Math was this constant problem for me. And, you know, as I would struggle with it, I'd hear things from my parents or other family members and even a couple teachers I would hear this notion that like, oh, you're just not good at math, right? You're really right-brained. You're creative. You like to create things and write and read. You're not good at math, and that's okay. And I remember really internalizing that as a kid. Like, oh, yeah, I'm just not good at math. But then I've had a lot of students since then who've, I, who've told me things like, oh, I'm not good at writing poetry, or I'm not good at public speaking, or I hate working in groups. I'm not good at it. And then they get practice with it and and they find experiences that motivate them to want to do that type of work well. And then they all of a sudden get good at it. And I'm like, no, you weren't bad at poetry. You just weren't good at it yet, right? Like you weren't bad at working in groups. You just didn't know how to, but now you do and you're good at it, right? And so I look back at my own life. I'm like, wait a minute. I used to be good at math. I tested into honors. I remember the thrill of going home and telling my mom that I could do long division and and geeking out with her about it. No, I used to like math. My struggle started. That first domino got knocked down when I asked Billy Robinson which pop star he thought was prettier. So I share this story with teachers. And I always make the point that I'm not telling it to paint this teacher as some type of monster who one day woke up and was like, you know what? I'm going to go into work today and I'm going to destroy that Muir boy's career in mathematics, right? Like that kid will never work for NASA. No, that's not why I share that story. Because my guess is that that teacher was human like me. I am the king of teachers who makes mistakes. I'm guessing that he went into work that day and he had the very challenging task of teaching middle schoolers the complexities of math. And he saw this kid who probably spoke out of turn more times than that kid would admit. And so he dealt with it on the spot. And then went about his day and and went home and hung out with his family and probably read a book because the internet wasn't invented yet, having no idea that those actions that day would help start this negative trajectory in my career in mathematics, having no idea what impact it would have. So I've got lots of grace for that guy because hopefully some of my past students have grace for me because we're not perfect. But I can tell you, and I always share this with teachers, I had another teacher that first year of of middle school. He was my teacher named Mr. Peters. And uh, I remember the week that I had to go to court and tell the judge which parent I wanted to live with, my mom and dad. And while I did this, they sat behind me and watched me publicly declare. And I was carrying all the weight of the world and sadness on my shoulders, and it was probably written all over my face. That day, Mr. Peters came up to me at the end of class, and he says, hey, hang on a second. And I'm like, dude, I've got no flamingo bucks for you. You can take nothing from me. He says, hang on. When all the kids leave the room, he says, hey, Trevor, I just, uh, I heard recently that your parents are getting divorced. Is that true? I said, nothing. Because <laughs> I'm like, why, why is this guy talking about this to me? Teachers don't usually talk about this to me. Heck, my parents don't even want to talk about this with me. And so I just sat there in silence and he says, well, I... I my, my parents got divorced when I was in middle school, and it was really hard on me. Has it been hard on you? And I just managed to say yes. Although I was in middle school, so it probably sounded more like yes. 
But I said yes, and he goes, oh, my man, that is so hard. And he just spends the next 15 minutes of that morning just talking to me and sharing his own story. And then it was like turning on a spigot. And I started sharing my own story with him. And for 15 minutes, we just talked. And he listened to this little boy who desperately needed somebody to listen to him. And while he's doing this, his next class is just piling out in the hallway and they're banging to get in. He's like, nah, they can sit out there and wait which you probably can't do anymore. But that's what he did. And he just sat there and he listened to me. And for some reason, the sharing of stories engaged me deeper in his class. And it made me want to pay attention to this guy. And when he talked about writing persuasive essays, I listened and I engaged. And when he talked about how to use semicolons correctly, I listened and I engaged. And it was like that day that he listened to me help knock knock down the first domino in another part of my life's trajectory. Because here I am 23 years later. No, yeah, gosh, how old am I getting? couple of decades later, I sit here as a teacher. Are you with me here? Right? Like, I, 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 I tell this story because I want to make that loud and clear point that the temporary work of an educator is really anything but temporary. Right? Like, Mr. Peter spent what, maybe 55 minutes a day for me, 180 days of my life, way back in the mid-1990s, and yet the result of his work has lasted long beyond the mid-1990s, right? Like his work those, the, on those days helped me become an educator. But more than that, it helped me become the dad that I am, into the man that I am, the husband that I am, the person that I am is so much owed to the work that my that my teacher did so long ago. And what's interesting is I've had this opportunity to connect with so many of my past teachers who, who've reached out to me when they find me on the internet or I've reached out and found some of them and I let them know, hey, the work you did with me has had this impact on my life and I get to share that with them. And it's such a great joy because I love nothing more than when students get in touch with me and share that similar message. It's kind of that reminder of why I do this work. And so I love to share it with them. And yet for the ever-loving life of me, I cannot find Mr. Peters on the internet. He's some type of weirdo who doesn't use Facebook. Or he's some kind of genius who doesn't use Facebook. (laughs) But either way, I can't find him. And he has no idea that those few moments he spent with me a long time ago help have such this formational impact on the rest of my life. He has no idea that that investment during that temporary amount of time has had such a lasting impact. And yet, whether he knows it or not, it still had an impact on me. Whether he knows the result, the fruits of his labor or not, that doesn't negate the fact that it happened. And I just hope that you know, as an educator, that that work that you're doing with students is lasting long after the time that they spend with you. Whether you find out about it or not, the effect is present. It re- it's real. And what's so just so fulfilling for me is I get to share some of these stories. And of course, I give a little bit more gusto when I share it on stage. I get to actually use my hands and you can see what I look like when I'm sharing it. And I've got visuals and all that. But when I share those stories, 
every single time people want to line up and talk to me about what that looked like in their own lives, who those teachers were that were that had an impact on them. They, they share their own stories of trauma and heartbreak and how they were that kid and how, how teachers were able to help them. Or maybe they even share stories about how they were able to be the Mr. Peters in their own students' lives. And I just love listening to it because it reminds me that, yeah, my stories are really an illustration of a lot of people's stories. That's the beauty of storytelling. You're helping cast a vision of what was and what is and what can be in a way that we all understand it. Because like, yeah, you might not have had parents divorce when you were in sixth grade, but you probably went through stuff in your life. And you probably had people who guided and mentored you through it. And that is so much the work of a teacher. And I just love getting to share these stories, but I love it even more when I get to hear other people's own. You know, I was in uh, northern Georgia a couple weeks ago in, in Rabin Gap. So if any of my Rabin Gap friends are out there, I love your school and I love your community and I love the mountains you live in. And, you know, I, I shared this story that I just shared with you. And then, uh, so I did that on, no, I, so I did that in the morning and then I got to have a workshop with teachers afterwards. And so I got to spend the whole day with them and we got to, you know, really cast that 30,000 foot vision for the keynote in the morning. And then the rest of the day was about putting bones to it and putting some flesh on those bones and kind of figuring out, all right, that was the why. Now, how do we do this type of work? How do we make learning more engaging and authentic and purposeful? So I'm leading that workshop and in the afternoon, a teacher comes up to me and, uh, she says, hey, can I have a second for it with you? I'm like, absolutely. She said, so I have had this for a long, long time, and I never threw it out because I always felt like I was supposed to hold on to it, and now I feel like it's the day that I'm supposed to give it away. I'm like, okay, what is it? And she pulls from behind her back a waterproof Walkman, and then she opens it up, and inside is a cassette tape made by the great band Boys to Men. And she pulls it out and she says, I've had this for a long time and I want to give it to you. <laughs> and I, I didn't know what to say in this moment. It was one of the most serendipitous, or dare I say, it was a divine moment in my life. And I'm getting a little teared up just saying it and I've got real teared up when this sweet, sweet teacher gave it to me um, because she said, yeah, I... I know, I know the, this, was this, this didn't become a reality when you were a kid, but now it can be a reality for you now. You just had to wait for it a little bit. And I just, I don't know, it just brought me back to being a kid and feeling disappointment and shame and, and hurt. And it was so much more than that math class. It was just the whole time of being a child um, and having teachers invest and care in me, care for me during that really challenging part of my life. And then this, this, this teacher did this, this beautiful gesture that just felt like it was predestined, like it was supposed to happen. Um, it was like just being reminded that there's something special about educators. Like there are these people who are just deeply committed to their work and in their commitment and in their effort and their willingness to keep going is really reflective of their spirit. And, and that's what was reminded, or that, that's what that, that whole beautiful little moment reminded me of. And that's what really all of my interactions with educators are. There's so much noise out there that is so unhelpful, but it's also so inaccurate. You know, the, all the stuff you see about, 
oh, teachers are trying to do this, or this is what they're trying to do, or this is why they're inept, or this is why you know, we, we can hire anybody to be a teacher. And it's like, listen, I just, that, that hasn't been my experience. That wasn't my experience growing up, and that's not my experience with all of the teachers I've worked alongside of in schools, but then about who I've gotten to visit. Uh, there's a reality that if you're an educator, something brought you into this work. You, you have this commitment to student success, whatever that success looks like. Uh, it can take on a lot of different forms, but there's this commitment to student success that everybody at least shared at one point. Yes, some people might have forgotten what that was, um, and, and I think that's some of all of our work is helping remind each other why we're doing this work. What is the real point of it? Um, and so, yeah, have people lost sight at times? Of course, we, we all do, that's, that's human. Um, but I've, I've met few if anybody who got into the education sphere for any other purpose than to help students and, and to share that servant heart they have, to, to share what their own wisdom and skills and passions and, and help students find those as well. And that's why I've got lots and lots of hope right now. So I hope you do too. So I am going to end this podcast and I'm going to go put on that Walkman and jam out to some voice to men. Because, um, uh, come on, everybody likes boys to men, especially when it's playing from a waterproof Walkman. So anyway, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It is so fun to be back in the booth and recording this. Um, whatever you do in schools, whether you are a teacher, or you help teachers, or you're a media specialist, or you're a custodian, or you're a bus driver, or you are an administrator, who am I forgetting? If you work in the front office, or if you happen to be listening to this, and you're a parent who is deeply invested um, in schools, thank you for listening to the Epic Classroom Podcast. My name is Trevor Muir, and you can expect another episode soon. See ya.